And good morning, everyone. I'm going to have a fun day. All right. Awesome. If you got your Bibles with you today, let's get going into this. And um, Vivian, are you still around, actually? Are you, did I see you? You were here and then you left. she around still? No? Yeah, did she leave? No, that's okay. That's all right. No problem. No pressure. She was here. We're just taking attendance at the moment. So that's good. No, I'm just messing. <laughs> all right, no problem. We'll, we'll, we'll find her. You know, we're going to continue on in this. And uh, man, there is just a lot. I am coming to really in a, in a setting like we're in, there's a lot of different avenues you can go. And so a lot of times I've been really learning and going, Lord, help me in this, in a situation like this. Go, Lord, what do you want to do right now? And that's always key because a lot of times you have to kind of read the room a little bit about where people are at, where you're going. Because again, you don't want to just start off going somewhere unless you're taking people with you. I mean, you could have your own little fit up here and have a great time, but if you're not taking anybody, you're just a show. So what we want to do is we're learning as a congregation, and I'm so grateful that you as a congregation, as a people, are just so open to the Spirit of God going, Lord, which way are we going to move? How do you want to go about this? Because we're all learning in it, right? So thank you for your patience in that. Thank you for your open heart to continue to move forward because I believe this, that, man, we want the Spirit of God to have full say in our services. Every time we gather, listen, he's the, he's the best. So it's not about how great the sound was, how great, you know, I can give you a message. It's nothing of that is what we're looking for. We're looking for the Spirit of God to have his full and complete way in everything that we do. Amen. So... Um, We'll, we'll, let's start here. I want you to go to Ephesians chapter 2. Um, but I want to just, again, kind of lay out. We've been talking about grace for, anybody know how long now? It's 2022, I guess. It's been, and, uh, it's just been great because there, there's been so many facets to it. Because, again, grace is not just a topic or a subject. Grace is a person. Jesus Christ, full of grace and truth. So when you talk about Jesus, you're explaining grace. And when there's grace, truth is there or truth is grace. So you're talking about, man, I want to know the full truth. Like, what is the truth? Truth is grace. When you understand grace, you understand truth. When you understand truth, you come in contact with truth, the man, Jesus Christ. Right? Okay. So I want to just lay out just quickly here for you and I, but Ephesians chapter 2, what is God thinking by pouring out his grace on my life. Like, what was his purpose? What was he thinking behind all of that? And I want to just read this to you in the New Living Translation. He says, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. Oh, man, do you remember that? Some of you, it's been a long time, but hey, you remember that. That's where we were. You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. And by our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. Now, verse 4, aren't you thankful for verse 4? But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace, his unmerited, unrestrained favor, that you have been saved. He goes on, he says, for he raised us from the dead along with Christ. And then what? He gave us a seat right beside him in the heavenly places because you are united to Christ Jesus. So this morning, yeah, you may be sitting in Red Deer, Alberta, but you are, just as much as you're here, you're also seated in heavenly places in the place of highest authority. When you're seated with Christ in him, you have all authority that he gave to you. Hello. Verse 7. Now he goes on to say, why did he do all of this? So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us as shown in all that he has done for us who are united in Christ Jesus. What's going to happen in generations past is God's going to point at you and say, they didn't deserve any of this, but my favor, my grace, I have lavished upon them. That's why they're in this position. 
Remember, I remember hearing prophecies even as a kid. I mean, uh, when the church, these are talking about days and days when we're in, we're in heaven and this, there's a new heaven and a new earth. And all of a sudden, people would stop and they would stare and they would go, those were the chosen ones. Those were the ones that he, God put his grace all over them. Man, to be the church. Oh, man, to be at that called out group. He was, they were just excited looking at them. There's something different about you. What is it? Your, the God's favor is all over your life. So what does God want to do? He's going to point at you and say, they didn't deserve any of this. And we're going to be doing this for generation after generation. That's what you and I are going to be doing. So guess what? God's going to make an example out of you. In the best way. Then he went on to say, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward. Say that with me. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that you've done. Now, salvation doesn't just mean heaven bound. That's part of it. Salvation means healing, preservation, safety, deliverance, freedom, I mean, you look at the, the Greek word for salvation, and it's sozo, and there's so much in that word than just saved, I'm going to heaven. Salvation, everything that's in the whole package of what Jesus provided is in this word salvation. So healing, deliverance, protection, safety is not a reward for the good things that you've done. As we get into this Christmas season, oh, I fed a bunch of people, so now, yeah, you know, God's going to bless me. No! salvation, God's goodness towards you is not a reward for the things that you've done. Why? So that none of us can boast about it. So what's the purpose behind grace? Why, Why all this? Look at this verse 10. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Meaning what? You don't, just because the good things that God has, it's not like I have to do good deeds and then God's grace, God's kindness comes into my life. No, he puts his goodness onto your life so that you are now equipped to do the good things he's called you to do. So don't ignore good works. Good works is now part, but it's not in order to obtain favor or grace from God. When I receive the grace of God in my life, it now equips me to carry out the works that he's called me to do before the foundation of the world. Isn't that good news? I'm so thankful that my, what God has graced me to do, such as being on this platform, there's a grace for that. It's not me. Very well aware of that. So what's the good news? Is that God's not looking and going, oh, based on week to week, well, Joel, you didn't really have a good week this week, so I'm going to pull some of that away. No, he fully equips you with the grace. Now, listen, you and I are still, uh, we're stewards of this grace that's God given to us. But aren't you thankful that he, he deposits his grace on your life and then from that place now, you are well equipped to carry out the task that he's called you to do, no matter where it may be. You're well equipped. Why? Because God has lavished his grace on your life. So this is why, again, the Apostle Paul, this is his message and his point to the New Testament church. He's constantly pointing the church to the grace of God. Because you have to understand the grace. you got to understand the message because all the fullness of what God did is found in the message of his grace. You know, while we were singing this song, uh, even when I don't see it, you're working. Even if I don't feel that you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. That's true to a point. He never stops working, but... Because if you and I start getting involved in doing work to try to make this word come to pass in our life, he stops working. What? Yeah. That's why the Bible constantly says, let us labor unto rest. God in the Old Testament basically said, I've seen the way you work. I understand how you work. Jesus is saying, it didn't work at all. Let me do the work. You simply rest in what I've done. That's basically the gospel in a nutshell, is your works are useless. They're lame. They don't amount to anything. Let me do the work. Let me carry on everything that's needed, and you just rest in what I do. Hurrah. That's the good news. That's the gospel that we present. It's not this religious mindset. You got to clean yourself up and you got to do this in order to get anything from God. No, the grace of God is what it is. It's you, regardless of how you act and God's goodness coming all over you in spite of you. That's what grace is. And so you and I have to learn to understand this message. And that's why the Apostle Paul, again, in Acts 20, 32, I want this verse ringing in your ears so much that it wakes you up in the nighttime. Ready? Look at verse 32. Paul says this, I'm now entrusting you into God's hands and into the message 
of his grace. Why the message of his grace? Because the message of grace is all that you need to become strong. Oh, I just got to get strong. I just, oh no, understand the message of his grace. Find out what he's already done. So much of the church is still trying to get God to do. God's already finished it. So you and I have got to get the revelation or the insight to seeing what God has already done on your behalf. He goes on to say all of God's blessings. How many of them? All. All. What, What have you need in your life this morning? All of it is found and is imparted through the message of what? Works. Through your efforts. Through obeying the Ten Commandments. No. Come on, y'all, no. How is it imparted? Through the message of his grace, which he provides as the spiritual inheritance given to all his holy ones. This is good news. Now, again, as we said, Paul's job was to point New Testament believers to God's eternal position and his stance towards you. What's his stance? Grace, meaning I've done it all. He looks at you and says, the finished work is done. He looks what his son said, Taleo, it is finished. He sees you with everything that you need to live in this life. He sees it all. Do you see it that way? Judging by that response, we're working on it. And we're all working on that. That's no problem. Now, grace has taken the responsibility to not only provide you with everything you need, but as we said, grace has also now become your schoolmaster. He's your teacher. Aren't you thankful you don't have to do this life alone? You don't have to figure this thing out. <laughs> All right. Let's go to Titus chapter 2 here for a minute. And anybody in high school, remember, I don't know if how far back they've been doing this, but remember that course called CALM, C-A-L-M, Career and Life Management? I, I didn't get a whole lot out of that. I'm still trying to figure out what they taught me in that class. But I'm so glad that all of a sudden, like, hey, you've done career and life management. You should be good to go on your way. And boof, there you're out in the world and go, uh, mom, how does this work? Now you are and I have been invited after you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You've done that this morning. You've done that before. You've now been invited into this beautiful private school called the School of Grace. Jesus is the teacher of this thing, and he's going to show you day by day how to live in this everyday life. You're not alone. So he says this, God's marvelous grace has manifested in person. And we know that again to be Jesus. And and Jesus, he brought salvation to and for everyone. But now it's great. It's available to whosoever. Whosoever. But you have to call on the name of the Lord to experience that saving grace. Right? The moment you called on Jesus, he met you in your mess. He met you in my, he met me in my mess. And at that moment, he took me out of that kingdom of darkness and he transferred into me, me into the kingdom of his dear son. And now in Romans chapter 6 in the, in the message Bible, it says it like this. You are now part of grace country. So now you've, listen, you've learned some things over in the kingdom of darkness. You learned different things like this is how the world system is. This is what you do with money. This is what you do with love. This is what you do with sex. This is what you do with women. This is what you do with men. It's messed up thinking. In fact, it's perverted in here. So now you come out into this place and you go, what now? You're in a whole new process of having to unlearn a lot of what stuff here. And now you're going to have to understand how grace country operates. It's a total different system. It's a total different way of thinking. So you and I, when we come out of here, expect mind renewal. Expect a good brainwashing because you need it. Stinking thinking is hurting you. So we got to get rid of stink. And the only way to do that from the word of God is that the washing of his word just purifies a lot of that junk. You know, for an example, anybody, you know, if you have a pet or something like that, a dog, and maybe outside, like you leave the, like a dog dish outside, and at nighttime you get a lot of these different bugs, and what happens sometimes you see these bugs end up in the water. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm not going to go in that water and start picking them out. Anybody? No, these, these nice fingers aren't going in that. Okay. So what do you do is that you get, now you just get a hose, and you start start squirting this water into this bucket and the result is that water just shoots out all those dead bugs that were in there. 
while the word of God, rather than trying to go into everything, oh, God, I got a wrong thought here, I got a wrong thought here. I'm just letting the washing of the word of God, as I constantly spend time of it, it just... And all of a sudden, that stupid, stinking thing, and bugs are just flying off everywhere else. And now I'm starting to think more and more like him. The word does the work. I'm simply positioning myself in such a way that the word has access to get rid of anything that's stained from that old system. So now, look again at verse 12. So now, he says, grace is manifested, but now this same grace, say it with me, same grace. So it's not like you got born again and go, good luck to you all now, figure it out on the rest. No, he says, this same grace, the one that you came here out of and you probably had, you know, ugly cry going on. Maybe you didn't. Maybe you're on a couch in the living room. Maybe it was an altar. Wherever it may be, this same grace now is going to teach us how to live each day as we turn our backs on ungodliness and indulgent lifestyles. And it's going to equip you and I to live self-controlled, upright, godly living in this present age. That's what grace is going to teach you and I. So again, we ask, Mr. Grace, what are you going to be teaching? The first thing, and we're going to go a little bit deeper into it today, is, Grace, what are you going to be teaching me? Lord, what are you showing me from your word? And the answer is how to turn my back on ungodliness. Or, the way we've been saying it, learning how to depend on God. I don't know about you, but I want my life to be so, on my back, so turned on ungodliness, meaning... I'm so done living self-reliant where I'm just, I can do this. Yeah, the word said, yeah, I'm, I'm going to get involved. I, I can do that. I can do this. Stop. You can't. Aren't you glad you came to church this morning? What did you learn? I can't do anything. Anybody even try changing a bad attitude? It takes time. It's like, man, I, sometimes I need a nap. I need like a week. I need to like go to like Cancun for like, for a month to just to get happy. That's not okay. That's all flesh. So what Grace has said is, that, hey, I'm coming alongside to actually help you change your attitude. Stinky attitude? Guess what? Grace, Lord, I need help. When I get woken up at 3 o'clock in the morning, Lord Jesus, help me. Anybody else have that issue? I'm, I'm fine. This is okay. Lord, I need you to help me in this. I need your grace to show me and to teach me how to change my attitude so somebody doesn't get hurt. Okay. Now, <clears throat> grace is saying, I'm going to teach you how to de depend on God. You know, as I said, I'm coming more and more into this place within myself that I'm looking and going to God to meet every need, desire, or longing and to help me in every area of my life. I made this, this analogy last week. Like, I'm look, If I look to Jamie as my source of joy, it's going to be frustrating for me and her. Jamie, tell me something funny. And she wakes up going, man, I got no knock-knock jokes today. I, I, I got nothing. Then I'm going to be mad at her and annoyed at her because I'm looking to her to be my source or at least a channel of something to make me happy. Woman, make me happy. And she's not. So there's a problem in my marriage. Girl doesn't know how to make me happy. And all of a sudden we have to go to counsel and we got all these issues and we got this. It goes into our children. It goes into our job. It goes into our finances. It goes into the bedroom. And now my whole marriage is on the fringe because I'm looking to her to make me happy. What kind of, what? She can't carry that. And what's the thing? I'm putting my reliance on her. I'm leaning on her to have a joke every morning when I wake up. I'll turn over and I'll just start tapping her. Hey, what do you got? 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 And she'll just flip on her phone real quick. Uh, knock, knock. That's it? That's it. That's not how this works. So I have to go to the Lord for every area of my life. Now, the message of grace is here to teach you and I how to come back to this beautiful place called dependence. Now, I'm believing that as you go about your weeks, and as we've been talking about this, I know for the last month, this particular thing, that you, that the Lord, you are just slowly cutting ties from lurking or looking and learning to depend on natural things and slowly looking to connect to the Lord on all these other issues. I'm trusting that's taking place. Okay, four amens and the rest are we're, we're uh-huh, we're, we're, because listen, you don't want to be the same place that you are a year from now. 
I, I, yeah, okay. Now, grace is teaching me to depend on God. The message of grace, really, it reveals the nature of God. And when you get a glimpse of his nature, you want to trust him. And we talked about that last week, so I'm not going to go into detail on that. But I want you to turn to Romans chapter 4 here for a moment. But again, God's searching gaze. You see that in 2 Chronicles 69, that the eyes of the Lord run to and fro across the earth, looking for those whose hearts are loyal or strong towards him. And they finally landed on a couple named Abraham and Sarah because God saw in them that they, through personal relationship with him, would depend on him. He saw that. And so what happened? God, God got excited about that. Hey, there's a man. There's a man right there. So he called Abram out. He said, I want you to leave your family. I want you to leave everything that's there. And I want you to depart to a country that I will show you. So Abram got up and left with no evidence naturally except for a promise. And now as you kind of fast forward to his life, where I want you to see here in Romans chapter 4, verse 18. He says, against all odds... When it looked hopeless, Abraham believed the promise. Now, if these guys can get it up on the screen, I'm at Romans 4, 18. He says this, against all odds. I want you just to think about some of these words here for a moment. When the odds are against you, what does that mean? There's, not nat- there's no natural evidence that anything's going to work on your behalf. So there was against all odds, it looked Hopeless. Abraham made a decision. Say with me. Decision. To believe the promise. He made a decision in the face of all the odds stacked against him. All the natural evidence stacked against him. He chose to believe the promise. This is huge. And we're gonna, I want to go deeper into this. Because there's something about our father in the in the in the faith, Abraham, that you see that go, man, this is, this is good stuff. And not only did he believe the promise, but he also expected or he depended on God to do what? To fulfill it. So God, you said the promise, I'll choose to believe the promise. It didn't stop there. Now he also said, I'm also choosing to believe and expect you to make it come to pass in my life. That's the attitude we, the church, have to have. As we go forward in the days, not only, oh, I believe the promise. Yeah, that's great. But I'm also expecting him now to fulfill it in my life. He looked to God. He took God, sorry, he took God at his word. And as a result of taking God at his word, he became the father of many nations and God's declaration over him came to pass. God's purpose and plan for him came to pass. Your descendants will be so many that they are impossible to count. God's got a call on your individual life. God's got a plan for you. How is it going to come to pass? Believe the promise of what he said about you and that God is going to fulfill it in his time. He needs access. Continuing on, verse 19. No, okay. In spite of being nearly 100 years old, okay, here's the natural evidence. When the promise of having a son was made, his dependency upon God was so strong that it could not be undermined by the fact that he and Sarah were incapable of having a child. Impossible. And verse 20 and 21, he says, he never stopped believing God's promise for he was made strong in his faith to father a child and because he was mighty in his dependence upon God and convinced that God had the power needed to fulfill his promises, Abraham glorified God. Now, I want to look at this again because there's a few statements in this that really just popped at me as I was reading and studying on this this past week. Again, in uh, Romans chapter 4, verse 18, it says, Abraham took God at his word. Say with me. He took God at his word. Now, how can Abraham do that? How could somebody do that? Through personal relationship with God. Your dependency upon God can never go beyond your personal relationship with him. It's impossible. You can believe of God where you depend on him. 
So a lot of times people think that they're at step 20 when you're at step one. Is it wrong to be at step one? No. That's a great place. We all start there. And what's going to happen is that you're slowly growing and you're taking steps into your dependency upon God. See, people mistake a personal relationship with God for knowledge about God and what he can do. That's great. You can know things about God, but he's not looking about what you know about him. He's looking for a personal, intimate relationship with him. That's why my dependency upon God is totally linked to my trust in him. If I want to depend on him, it has to show that I have to have a personal relationship. So if you're just getting Sunday fixes, it's not going to go very far. Abraham, we look at Abraham and go, oh yeah, I can be just like Abraham. And all of a sudden, the sight of something from the natural that goes against what, you, what you've heard or what you believe. Oh man, how is this going to work? Abraham, the stack against him, he saw all this. He probably looked in, well, he didn't have mirrors. Or maybe they did, looked, at, looked in a pond or something and saw the reflection of his body going, man, this is old. What did he do? He chose to believe the promise. How do you do that? That's not easy to do. It's fun to talk about, but man, it is not easy to do. All of a sudden, when your kid comes in not feeling well, ah, 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 what do I do, God? I, you said by structure, why are we not seeing it? You're, what's showing is your dependence upon God is showing, and it's at a very lower level, and that's okay. But acknowledge it and go, okay, I need to buck up here a little bit and I need to start going into God, having a relationship with him. And listen, the whole purpose for grace is for intimacy. I'm not in this, I'm not in this relationship to see what I can get out of him. Same way with my wife. I'm not just seeing what I can get out of her. I actually like the woman. She's wonderful. I'm so grateful. She's a gift to me. I want to get to know her. Well, it's the same way with our Heavenly Father. Sometimes people just look at him as some sugar daddy out there who could do a bunch of cool stuff. Oh, Lord, you'll pay my bills? Okay, yeah, take my bills. Take my bills. I got problems. I got problems. I got women problems. I got man problems. I got kids. Lord, just take all this stuff. Without a relationship, we're just simply looking. We're prostituting the relationship with him just to get stuff out of him. I will never prostitute my relationship just to see what he would do for me. He's done enough. If he never did ever a thing again, he's done enough. So what's my responsibility? Intimate relationship with him. I am believing and receiving of God to my dependency upon him. And my dependency upon him is linked to my personal relationship. That's what's showing off. Okay. Oh, now, <laughs> you know, only one thing that's more important than you knowing God, and that's God knowing you. You know, because he said in Matthew 7, 23, Jesus actually said, there's people that said to him, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we do this in your name? He said, depart from me. I never knew you. And what's that word new is that same word intimacy. I've, I haven't had intimate relationship with you. I don't know you. So what were they doing? They were using the relationship. They were abusing the kingdom. They were abusing the name of Jesus to get stuff on their behalf. Now, Philippians 3.10 in the Amplified Bible, it says like this, My determined purpose is that I may know him, that I may progressively become more deeply and intimately acquainted with him, perceiving and recognizing the wonders of his person more strongly and more clearly. Your relationship with God is progressive. It goes forward every day. It advances every day as you spend time with him. So don't just think, I have to be at step 30 by tomorrow because I got some big stuff. No, 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 no. It starts small. What did God tell Abram? I mean, this is still the big thing, but he told Abram, you're going to have to leave your family. Oh, man, really? I mean, you see where he was. That was the around 70. Now he gets up to 100, and now he's believing he's got a child. And then a few years later, I believe 114 when Isaac was 14, now he's told to kill his son. You don't start off, hey, I want you to go kill your son on my behalf. Why? The development of the relationship wasn't there. So he starts off saying, leave mom and dad. It's, t it's about time. You're 70. It's about time you get out of mom's basement. <laughs> and he slowly, you could just see it, slowly just went forward and forward. But I want just to share with you, don't think, I have to be this. How come I'm not further along? You are where you are. Enjoy it. Be present in that relationship and allow the Spirit of God to take you further into it. Okay. I'm glad we're on the same page. Now, Taking God at his word means this. I respond to God. I don't react to Satan. 
This is what this means. So what's grace going to be teaching me? How to depend on God. When I'm depending on God means I am responding to the Father and I'm not reacting to the kingdom of darkness. Because listen, is there time opportunities to react on this earth? Oh, yeah. Probably when you leave this building, there'll be an opportunity. Now, the Christian life isn't focused on fighting the devil. What? It's not about fighting the devil. The devil has way too much attention, and I'm my, my opinion, in the church's mind. The devil can do this. The devil can take over. Are you kidding me? The devil is a punk with absolutely zero authority at all unless somebody gives it to him. He's got nothing. And meanwhile, the church is the devil this, the devil that, the devil can get access here. Whoa! Have you forgotten how big our God is and who's on the inside of you? Anyways, I'm going to get into this. But Luke chapter 10, i got to lay this foundation. Calm down, Joel. Pray for me. I'll just calm down. But I want you to see, again, our response is to God, not to react to Satan. Jesus, or verse 17, when the 70, so Jesus sent out missionaries to go and to preach, lay hands on the sick, cast out devils. And when the 70 missionaries returned to Jesus, they were ecstatic. They were pumped with joy, telling them, Lord, the demons obeyed. I said, get out in Jesus' name. And boom, demons flew out of these people. And they're going, this is amazing. Now look at Jesus' response. While you were ministering, I watched Satan topple until he fell suddenly from heaven like lightning to the ground. Now you understand that I have given you, verse 19, I have imparted to you all my authority to trample over his kingdom. Who has that authority? You do. You will trample upon every demon before you and overcome every power Satan possesses. Absolutely no thing will be able to harm you as you walk in this authority. Cha-ching! But then he goes on to say, verse 20, However, the real source of joy, your real source of joy, isn't merely that these spirits submit to your authority. Why? That's normal. That ought to be everywhere you go. That ought to be the norm. So don't get excited that demons leave. That's what they're supposed to do. But he says, but why do I get happy? Where's your source of joy? That your names are written in the journals of heaven and that you belong in God's kingdom. This is your true source of authority. So what do you get excited about? I'm part of the kingdom of God. This is what I get excited about. Not that I can cast out a demon. That's the norm. Again, why is he saying all this? Because Jesus never reacted to Satan, never reacted to the Pharisees, never reacted to any external circumstance, naturally speaking. He never reacted to any of it. Why? Because his primary purpose was to respond and complete a mission on behalf of the Father. Church, that's why we're here. If we keep reacting to everything and their words and what they think and what they say and how they act, we are going to be missing what the Father wants to do. Let me continue on here. Let me just show you this. John 5, 19. Jesus is, you gotta, if you could put this as a lens every time you read the word of God, put this lens on when you read the gospels. Jesus said, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself. Really? Except what? What he sees the father do. So put this on as a lens that every time Jesus did something, He did it because he first saw the Father do it. So you and I, sometimes we just step out and it may be noble. It may look, yeah, that seems like a right thing to do. But did he tell you to do it? If not, there is no grace. There is no empowerment to fulfill what you're doing. If grace isn't there, what are you doing? Well, I just have this so burning in my heart. I don't care. Neither does the Father. If he didn't put it on your heart and reveal to you your next step, don't do it. Why? Because you'll be out now in the flesh. And you're trying to accomplish things in the flesh. And apart from him, you can do no thing. So what's the most important thing? Is that I allow the grace of God to teach me how to depend on God. And while in my dependence, all right, Lord, what do I need to do? What's my next step? What's, what's my call? Yes, sir. Okay? That's what we're doing. Now, I want you again just to look at this example. 
I want you just to see what Jesus did in John chapter 8, verse 1. Just to show you a little glimpse of this. Jesus walked up to the Mount of Olives near the city where he spent the night. Then at dawn, Jesus appeared in the temple courts again, and soon all the people gathered around to listen to his words. So he sat down and he taught them. Now look at this. In the middle of his teaching, the religious... The religious scholars of the day, the real smart religious folk of the day, popped up and the Pharisees broke through. Can you just see how obnoxious they are? Get get out of the way, move out of the way, move out of the way. Meanwhile, they're dragging a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. And they made her stand in front of the middle of everyone. Look what religion likes to do. Mm -mm -mm. Oh yeah, look at this, look at this, look at this. They're so good at it. That's why we're not Jesus, because I would love to beat one of these guys up with every fiber of my being, just slap them a few times, and Lord, I'm sorry for doing that. (laughs) Then verse 4, then Jesus, or they said to Jesus, Teacher, we caught this woman. Now just notice, notice their arrogance. Teacher, with an English accent. We caught this woman in an act of adultery. (laughs) Verse 5. Doesn't Moses' law command us to stone to death a woman like this? Tell us, what do you say we should do with her? Do you see the arrogance, the smudge? I can just see their little smudged face just... They were only, again, verse 6. Why were they doing this? To test him. To see, they would hope to trap him with his own words and accuse him of breaking the law of Moses. Guess what religion likes to do? It likes to trap you. Go on, on. But Jesus didn't answer them. Why? You don't have to. Listen, some of, some of you this morning, you don't have to respond or give an answer to any religious comment, to any trash that's out there, you don't have to. Why? You're here not to fight darkness. You're here to represent the Father and respond to what He needs done. Instead, what did Jesus do? How annoyed do you think they would be? Religion demands answers. Constantly demands answers. Look at verse 7. Angry now, they kept insisting that he answer their question. So Jesus stood up. What is he doing while he's writing on the ground? He's going, Father, what do we do here? It's only option A, go with the law of Moses. Option B, talk on love. And I'm stuck in a, I'm stuck in a trap. But when you're with the Father, he always gives you option C. And what's option C? Hmm. Let's have the man who has never had a sinful desire throw the first stone at her. Jesus, 100. Pharisees, zero. It just constantly. And then what did he do? Verse 8. Then he bent down over again and he wrote some more words in the dust. (laughs) Okay, look at this. Verse 9. Click, click. Upon hearing that, Her accuser slowly left the crowd at one at a time, beginning with the oldest to the youngest with a convicted conscience. Until finally, verse 10, Jesus was left alone with the woman and still standing there in front of him. So he stood back up to her and said, Dear woman, where are your accusers? Is there no one to condemn you? Looking around, she said, I see no one, Lord. Jesus said, Then I certainly don't condemn you either. Go from now on and be free from a life of sin. Quick side note, do you think this woman went back to her, her prostituting ways? Not a chance. Why? Because the law was all over? No, because grace freed her. <laughs> what the law likes to do is constrict and put demands and expectations on you that you can never keep. And said, you come to grace, and grace, what does he do? He opens and frees you from never having to live there, have those thoughts ever again. Oh, that's what grace does. <laughs> now, so again, we're talking about responding to the Father, not reacting to Satan. Proverbs 23, 17. This is a verse that the Lord helped me survive 2020, 2021, and part of 2022. Look at this, verse 17. Don't allow the actions of evil men to cause you to burn with anger. 
Instead, burn with unrelenting passion as you worship God in holy awe. What does that look like to you? I'm responding to the Father, not reacting to natural circumstances. Now, just to close it up here, distractions, or let me just first say this. God has a plan, and if you think about this reality, so much of the time we are focused on what darkness is doing in this earth. And why would you think, of course we'd know this, because darkness is arrogant. Darkness is proud. Darkness likes to showboat. Darkness likes to be over every news media and show you how evil, how bad it is. Love does not boast. We, what you see all over going on there, yeah, that may be happening, some, but you have no idea what God is doing behind the scenes and how many lives are being changed regularly because of the grace and the love of God. Now, we need to learn to work with the plan of God for our individual lives, but also for the plan of God regarding a city, a region, a province, and nation. It's not that every time, okay, this is what, you know, the, the government is saying this, this is the next thing, and the church starts combating that. That's not the flow. What do we have to be doing? Lord, what do we do in this? And it's not like we're playing catch up constantly. He'll show you things to come. That's why the spirit of God is on the inside of you. But we have so much of the time a church reacting to everything out there that there's no time to respond to what the father wants to do. Now, let me just pull this in a little bit further here. But we spend time reacting or fighting sickness and disease instead of responding to the healing power of Jesus. So what's on your brain? Pain. Ow. Ow. Pain, get out of here. Go away. Get out of here in Jesus' name. What's your focus? Is the owie. And what's the father saying? I need you responsive to me. And no longer are we, fight, we're now fighting from this natural place. Going, Come on, like, I need you to get better. I need you to get better. And the father's going, you need to respond to what Jesus has done on your behalf. That's the battle we fight. Another example would be this, is that we've spent so much time reacting to financial problems and fighting bills. Oh, tell us in the name of Jesus. I tell you, tell us. Numbers, you go down. You go down. And you go into, you know, you go into, you know, speed tongues. And just hoping that that number will just somehow change on the paper to go tell us. Yeah, I showed you. You're fighting the wrong battle. What am I supposed to be doing? Responding to what he said about my needs. The last thing, again, I'll just mention this, is that we spend time trying to react to the devil and to their stupidity. Instead, we need to respond to the Spirit of God and drive them out as he leads us. So many times, well, we take out, Mark 16 says, yeah, cast out devils, absolutely. But you can't just do that apart from the Spirit of God. You and I can do nothing. We can't do a thing. What do we need? We need the Spirit of God to lead us and direct us to give us, okay, this is what I got to do. I'll step in here. I want you to show this is what grace is teaching you and I, how to depend on God for everything. There's some things that the Lord's not calling you to fight. And you're trying to fight it because you just don't like it. I get it. I've been there. But what do I need to do? I need to learn how to fight with the Lord on my side. Let me just show you this and then I'll be done. But what is the fight? The fight is to maintain the victory that we receive because of Jesus. This is the fight that we are called to do. So now, look at this. This is another verse that, from Romans 4, from Abraham and Sarah. Because God is faithful, Abraham was strong in his dependence upon God, and this kept him from allowing natural circumstances to move him. Now, think about it from this perspective. Abraham was not fighting their age. Abraham was not fighting their bodies. He wasn't going, birth certificate, you change in Jesus, or in the name of Jehovah. I tell you, bodies, you go younger, go back to 20. I go, I call you 20. I call you 20. I call you 25. <laughs> Why? Because that's not actually the case. So do you see, the enemy loves to keep people distracted by natural elements constantly. Oh, I want to fight this. I'm going to go after this. Let me show you what our fight is. 1 Timothy 6.12. You ready? <laughs> now, again, the reason why is because when you start depending on God, the devil's not going to just watch you get all these blessings. So what's he going to do? He's going to do everything he can, naturally speaking, to distract you, to get you off of what you really need to be contesting for, 
Do you need to fight for healing? Why? You already got it. So what am I fighting then? I fight the good fight of faith. I'm not fight. I'm not called to fight for healing. I got it. Then he goes on to say, lay hold. Say with me, lay hold on eternal life. And eternal life is really, it's, it's Jesus. It's to lay hold of what he did. Lay hold on who he is and what he said. Lay hold to that. This is the fight. This is how we fight our battles. It's not by, I'm going to, I'm going to just got to find something, going to fight. I'm going to find some devil and cast it out. No. What's the fight? To depend on God. To lay hold of what he's already accomplished on my behalf. Can we see that? Okay, now. I'm fighting, or sorry, it's not a fight of feelings or natural circumstances. I'm not fighting God to try to get him to do something for me. I'm fighting the enemy who tries to bring doubt, worry, and certain feelings that say I'll never get what God promised. I'm fighting to refuse to let go of his promise, the temptation to quit, and the temptation to get me down. This is what he's after. Look what he said to Abraham. Man, Abraham, you're 100 years old. There's no way. You tried all that stuff before. It it doesn't work. What did he have to do? No! I refuse that. I believe the promise, and I believe the promiser. He will do it. What did Abraham just do? He laid hold to the promise. This is the fight. So now let me just show you this in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. This is the fight. For though we walk in the flesh, here we are, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare, they are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, casting down, Amplify says, imaginations, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every what? Oh, what? What's the enemy's tactics? Thoughts, imaginations, worry, doubt, all of that is in your mind. Thoughts, those are thoughts that come your way. Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. What I want you to see here, because we have a devil who's very persistent, these thoughts will come and they'll rise up. But what do you do? Slap it down. Now, I couldn't get a helium balloon, but this is normally what it looks like. What do I do? Slap it down. What do you do? Slap it down. How? how? Just say, slap it down. You have to use the word of God to talk to thoughts. You're not going to get your healing this time. You go, you're absolutely right. I'm not going to get it. Jesus already got it for me. So Lord, I want to thank you that by your stripes, I'm healed. And what are you doing? You're taking that thought that's trying to exalt itself higher than the wisdom and knowledge of God. And you are putting it now into the prison that it needs to be. This is the battle, but this is what depending on God will teach you and I. So we're not fighting things out here. I'm not fighting a bill. I'm not fighting my body. Come on, body, be better. It's great to talk to your body. There's nothing wrong with doing any of that. But the fight is to hold fast to what he said. Lay hold of the promise of God. You know, sometimes people use that phrase, just let go and let God. Sometimes I get it. But in this situation, no. It's not just let go and just, we'll see whatever God wants to do. No, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about let go of all the fear, the anxieties. Yeah, that's the part I understand. And let God's peace fill you. I get that. But the way we fight now is all of a sudden, rather than going after everything naturally speaking, I'm now going, Lord, this is what you said in your word, and I'm holding fast to what you said. All of a sudden, pain starts shooting up my leg. No, 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 no. Father, I want to thank you for your word. It is true on my behalf. I'm laying hold to the promise. Now see it from Abraham's perspective. Imagine 25 years. He first heard it, 25 years. Could you imagine that 24th, 25th year? Oh, Lord, and all of a sudden those thoughts, looking at all the odds stacked against him. You're 100 years old. It's not going to work. I believe Abraham would just run outside of his tent. Lord, you told me to look at the sand. 
You told me to look at the stars. Ah, that's the promise. I'm choosing to believe the promise. I'm choosing to believe that my seed will cover the earth like the sand covers the sea. I believe that, Lord. I believe that the stars, as they multiply, I can't even count them. That's your promise. Lord, I believe. That is the fight he held on to. And because Abraham took God at his word, refusing to let go, fought the right battle, God goes, I have access to bring in now my covenant and fulfill it on your behalf. He needs an access point. And what is that access point? I'm not fighting natural things. Stop fighting for your healing. Stop fighting for peace in your family. We labor to rest. The highest place of dependency on God is not, come on, family, get better. Come on, let there be peace. I just want peace in this house. It's, Resting in the fact he is my peace. Lord, I cast all the care, all the worry, all the concern, especially as you go into Christmas, all the stuff that goes with it. I cast it on you once and for all. Lord, you're going to take care of all the things that need to be taken care of. Did you know that God can take care of people better without your support, without your help? God, I, just, I got a family member that real sucks around Christmas. Leave them with God. Anybody got somebody like that? Just You know what you do? You leave them with the Lord. The Lord is able to do far more what you could ever do with that individual. So it's best just to go, there he is, and leave him there. Let the Lord figure it out. Amen. Father, we love you. We thank you for your peace. We thank you for your word. Lord, I'm again so grateful that you are watching over your word to perform it in our lives. Jesus, you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. So Lord, we call on you as the author and the perfecter of our faith. Holy Spirit, thank you for living inside of us, that you are continually leading us and teaching us how to depend on you as we live each and every single day. So Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, we just speak peace over these homes that are represented here this morning. Peace in the family, joy in the family, in the precious, mighty name of Jesus. And we give you all the glory and we give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you all.